Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 14 of Eat, Drink, Write, an Urban Fantasy Whiteboard. We're doing things a little bit differently this week with the social media, social media, with the social distancing. <laughs> yes, I've already started drinking. Um, she is recording from her home and I'm recording from my home. So this is going to be a little bit awkward. We're hoping the audio sounds well. Um, we're using Zoom. So that's supposed to be set up for this kind of meeting type thing. So that's what we're trying to do today. I am Sherry Ellison. I'm Taylor Ellison. And today we're going to be talking about creating antagonists. I got excited about that last one of those previous episodes and uh, really wanted to talk about creating antagonists. So we'll be talking about that today. Yep. Um, we're, since we're not in the same home, we don't have the same drinks and food. So what, what are you, what are you drinking at your house? I'm drinking a tangerine white claw, which, uh, they, I mean, they're pretty good. I didn't expect them to be good, but they're, they're pretty yummy. I've heard of them, but I've never tried them. I bet they're not keto. They're known as the quote unquote white girl drink. So, oh, really? Yeah. Do they, are they full of sugar? They probably have fake sugar. Um, it says it has two grams of sugar. How many carbs? Two grams. That's not, that's not bad. No, it's not bad. And it's a uh, hundred calories. So they're, they're like the quote unquote white girl healthy drink. Interesting. Well, I'm drinking a keto kamikaze, which is basically vodka, lime juice. It's supposed to be triple sec, which is full of sugar. So I used a LaCroix La or LaCroix, however you pronounce that orange. Yeah which means it's not nearly as sweet as a kamikaze usually is, but I actually like it because being on keto has changed my taste buds. So it, um, it's actually not bad. And then I put lime in it, fresh lime and a little bit of lime juice in it. Very nice. They're very strong. So beware <laughs> everybody. Um, I am Good. eating shrimp cocktail, which I had gotten enough to make for you and Sydney too, mm. but you all, we didn't do that while you were here last time, and now it's going to be a long time before we get to actually see each other in person. So I'm eating the shrimp cocktail, which is yummy. Yes, I know. I'm Sydney's going to be sad when I tell her that we missed it. <laughs> yeah, because I've made keto sauces to go with it, but I also had non-keto sauces for you guys. Summer. But my keto sauce is a horseradish sauce with um, sour cream and horseradish and lemon juice and salt pepper is good. And right. then the cocktail sauce is sugar-free ketchup mixed with horseradish sauce. So Ooh, yum. really good stuff. So what are you eating? I made uh, orange oil brownies. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Definitely not keto, but they are delicious. Oh, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. Oh, I wish I weren't on keto sometimes, but I have I, lost 40 pounds, so I can't really complain. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, enough of all of that. I've gone off track for a little bit. So with antagonists, I'm calling this making better bad guys. Nice. See what I did there? I, I sure did. <laughs> so I have a definition. Do you have a definition? I do, but I want to hear yours first. Okay. So my definition is that an antagonist is a person who actively opposes or is hostile to someone or something, an adversary. Now that was the definition out of Webster's dictionary, just straight um, definition as opposed to from a writer's perspective. Right. I've got a, a story, I mean, a, a better definition that's more geared towards writers, which says, in a story, the antagonist is the opposite of the protagonist or the main character. Typically, this is a villain of some kind, but not always. It's just the opponent of the main character or someone who gets in their way. It is conflict personified. He's whoever stands in between your hero and his or her goal in the story. Nice. I mean, that pretty, pretty much encompasses what I have, which is um, it's a character who is opposed to, struggles against, or competes with another. Um, the, adversary, the adversary of a hero or protagonist of a drama or other literary work. Okay. So I have things that you need to think about when creating your antagonist. Now, I mean, we did a whole episode on creating characters. Right. Basically, an antagonist is a character, mm -hmm. but it's an important enough character that you need to give as much time and effort to the antagonist as you do the protagonist. Right. Yeah. It's not just a secondary character, a sidekick, whatever those other categories we talked about in that episode the antagonist 
is huge. And if you don't make it a realistic antagonist, it, I mean, it, you know, they can be good. We've got comic book and, you know, villains and that kind of thing. And there's a place for those. But I think most people listening here are going to be urban fantasy oriented, which you want to have a realistic character. So I've got one, two, six things that I think you need to think about. And then I get into how you incorporate those things. How did you go about this? So I have four types of antagonists. Okay. Uh, and then I have other types of antagonists uh, that are not like I, for those four types, I do have a few things about each one of those. And then I have other types, which are just like general types uh, that I want to talk about. And then I have a section on humanizing your antagonist. Okay. And then I have a section on other tips for writing antagonists and then like a quick little exercise thing for developing one. Sounds like our topics are going to mismatch. Mitch, oh my goodness. Ooh, you're feeling that dream. That, kamikazes are generally supposed to be shots and I've made it the size of a drink. So it is a little stronger. It's funny. Um, I, I've been spending a lot of time on social media with this um, quarantine thing that's going on. Yeah. And there was a question where this fellow asked, are you drinking more or less since you've been in quarantine? And I was like, more, definitely more. <laughs> yeah. Which is so funny because it's not really that different for me. I don't know why this is affecting me this way. Well, it's funny. To, I mean, I'm experiencing kind of the same thing where I'm drinking a little bit more than I usually do. And it's mostly because it's like, oh, it's a Tuesday night. Oh, I'm not going anywhere tomorrow. I can drink. It's fine. I can drink. So because usually I drink on the weekends or Me whatever. Too. And so because yeah, you got to get up early and go to work. And now we don't have to necessarily get up early. We just have to get the work done throughout right. some time in the day. It's just just weird. Right. And And it's so scary and a little bit more than a little bit tragic that what's going on right now. Yeah. Oh, I, I have um, delivery people are our heroes right now. And so I have put a big basket of goodies out by the front door. I've got cookies and I've got hand wipes. I wanted to do face masks, but of course those are sold out everywhere. So I'm going to start making face masks and I'm going to leave little face masks out there for the, because those people are on the front line. Yeah. They're the ones having to go and you know, bring us our groceries and bring us things because we're too afraid to go out. Yeah. So, you know, a little bit of shout out to those delivery people out there. Um, okay. So I got off track again. Sure. Um, <laughs> feel like kamikazes will do that to you. I'm really afraid. Um, I apologize people. Uh, it might be a really fun episode. I don't know. Uh, so I will start and you jump in and we'll just go the way we normally go. Okay. Okay. My first point on an antagonist is they've got to be relatable yes you have to create empathy mm -hmm. your your villain needs to be someone that your reader can identify with even if they don't agree with them and how he's doing things or she's doing things they need to be able to relate to that person give yeah. them some good they, these people are in their own minds are heroes I mean, we all think of ourselves as heroes. We all make choices that we think are good choices. Right, and yeah. the villain is no different. So give him some, some good character traits, balance those traits. I was thinking, you know, we always talk about supernatural. Yeah. And even Lucifer in Supernatural was relatable. Mm -hmm. he, he was funny. I mean, definitely evil. But we understood some of his, where he was coming from. And Crowley. Crowley and, and Supernatural, we definitely understood where he was coming. His mother treated him like crap when he grew up. We, we see 100% how he got to be where he is. Right. Even the show Lucifer, do you watch Lucifer? I've seen two seasons, I think. His, I mean, he's the devil, and yet he's kind of the protagonist of... He is the protagonist, for sure. ...of that show, which is so interesting. But the best bad guys are the ones that the reader can ask themselves, if I were in those same circumstances, would I do that too? Yeah, and I, I have, um, you know, villains have feelings too. Antagonists have feelings. Um, yes. And I have a, a bullet point written down here where I said, you know, when you're introducing your villain and your story, um, try writing that scene from their point of view. 
because that'll give you a, a decent feeling about what your antagonist is thinking and why they're doing the things that they're doing and, and treat them like the protagonist, at least for, you know, an exercise, an exercise scene, paragraph, whatever. That's what one of my how to do this after we talk about it, it says, one of Taylor's favorites, write scenes <laughs> from the antagonist's point of view. It's great. It's such a good way to get into the head of your antagonist and make them more believable because you, know, you as the writer then know exactly what they're thinking. Donald Moss, in that book that you read, yeah. goes one step further and says, outline the book from the antagonist's point of view. Did you read that? I did. Um, that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it, it is, but how interesting. I had never thought of that. It's such a good way to think of it though. Um, that book is, is really amazing. And I, I love thinking that way because then it helps you not only flesh out your antagonist as a character and as a person, but it can help you look at your plot uh, from a completely different angle. Um, and that should catch plot holes and all kinds of things. Yeah. And I think it would help you flesh out your plot as much as it will your antagonist, so. And give you ideas for more rocks to make that plot you know, make your uh, poor protagonist have more difficulties getting to where they need to go. Rocks! One thing, it, it's, it's neat to have a reader empathize to the point with a, a villain or an antagonist to the point where they think they might would do the same thing. Yeah. That's very scary to think that in the right circumstances, we could all be villains. Yeah. I'm, villain is, I'm using that term loosely. I mean, we're not... Oh, for sure. I think... Yeah. Yeah, I think antagonist is, um, is a good word for it, but like most people think of it in terms of, oh, well, the villain of my story is such and right. such. Plus so right now, villain is easier to say than antagonist. <laughs> <laughs> then what? Then what? <laughs> <laughs> villain. I'm not going to say the other one. Uh -huh. Okay, so the second point I have that you need to think about when you're creating your antagonist is motives. Yeah. Um, the villain's motives must be heroic in their own mind. They're, they're not doing something. I mean, it would be a very shallow character that would be doing something just because I want to be evil today. That, that's right. not how people think. Now, right. there might be a place for that kind of monster, especially in urban fantasy. We're going to have goblins or whatever that just want to eat people. I mean, but even that Which motive... That, that motive in their mind is not evil. They're hungry mm -hmm. and, you know, humans are tasty. So it, it's not in their own minds. They're not bad guys. Right. So you need to have, they need to have a reason for behaving the way they do. Just make sure that reason is logical. This remember, and I was talking about my pet peeve where I hate it when I think this was in our mystery episode where that, writers make their characters stupid and we as the readers are going yeah. oh my god it's right there think along those lines when you create your antagonist as well don't make him stupid he's right. a real person or, or she um and have them be logical you know a, a common motive is we always see those movies or stories that they're wanting to prevent a loved one from dying or they're trying to mess with time to keep them from dying and it doesn't matter to them it matters, but it's less important to them that there's other casualties because they love this person and that's right. the most thing, important thing to them. Even some, some bad guys, the stories where, and this I see a lot in science fiction, where you are, are trying to save the world, but it's, it's okay to sacrifice the few to save uh, the bigger picture. And, yeah. and that is a noble thought and their minds and we can see how you know what, what was it star trek where you know the the vulcans i can't remember that line that spock said um when he was dying but that's that same thought do you save is it okay to save the whole planet at the expense of these lives you know and and that's a logical thing in these villains minds we we have to decide about we have to think about that when we create these characters and the hunger games there, there's a lot that I tie into the Hunger Games in this one. It's a really good book when you when you look at bad guys. Um, yeah. You know, the, the capital was looking at the greater good of society. Right. They had a reason for their hierarchy at the expense of the lesser. So, you know, yeah. go ahead. 
I have a, I have a point on that one. So in my section where I have types of antagonists listed out, one of them is the immoral entity. And that's basically, you know, it's not a single human being, but a group of people or an even larger entity, such as an organization, a government, or a social system. And the example that I have for that is the capital for the Hunger Games. Yes, I have that as well later on when I'm making the point that antagonists don't have to be just human beings. Right. They're, they're something that stand in the way, and they can be things like nature, like hurricanes and earthquakes, technology. Yep. Think about yep. the Terminator movies. Yep. I mean, that was, that's technology. Those things aren't humans. Um, supernatural things, like think about paranormal activity, those, those movies. I'm talking a lot about movies, but it, it applies to books as well. And then the collective, like the Capital and Hunger Games, or mm -hmm. in my book with Beck, the council. Right. The Fay council is the collective, uh, a collective bad guy. Right. But my point with that is, if you're going to have a collective type of antagonist, it needs to have a face. I have that as well. Yeah. Yep. So like in Hunger Games, it was, you know, the <laughs> president snow, <laughs> the president snow, that was it. Um, so yeah, it can be a collective thing, but be very careful to give it a face or it might not, it, you're going to be more preachy than you are telling a story. Yep. I have that written down too. Okay. The next thing, let's see, I was still talking about motives. It can be something as simple as power, but think about what the antagonist really gets. I mean, you know, we always think, oh, well, he wants power. Okay, well, why? Think deeper into that than just saying he's out at it for power. Right, because like, why does he want that power? Right, like, what, what does that power give him? Yes, so you've got to really delve deeper into this. And I made a little cheat sheet that I'm going to post. It's certainly not very in-depth, and you haven't even seen it yet because I made it this morning. Um, but I'm going to post it on our website. It's an antagonist character sheet, and it starts you thinking. It's a starting point for some basic things to think about. So check that out on our website. It'll be under the right section. Did you have anything more on motives? No. Okay. The next thing I think that you need to think about is drive. Sure. It, yeah. Which is different than motive. I mean, there is, the motive is the reason. The drive is what he does to get there. Mm -hmm. So your villain must have the drive to pursue his goals. He's not like the, the big bad boss in a video game where, you know, it, we play World Warcraft and we get to the boss and, and he's there, but he's just sitting there waiting us, on us to get to him. That's not how the victim, the, the, victim, the antagonist <laughs> needs to be in your story. Mm -hmm. What makes a good villain is the lengths that he's willing to go in order to succeed. What lines right. are he, is he willing to cross right. in order to get to that point? And think, it's generally going to be things that your protagonist would never do. Right, that, yeah. That line is too far. He might understand, okay, I understand you want to save your wife who died, but killing the rest of the world. Yeah. Right, right. So... It just, it, it, he needs to be driven to follow through to obtain his goals. Yeah. Okay. The next thing about your antagonist is that he really needs to be a threat. Yes. Your villain must have the possibility of success. In fact, yeah. the reader has got to worry that the villain might actually succeed. Well, that's like what I have. I have a little bullet here that says, you know, make your antagonist at least as smart, strong, and as capable as your protagonist to make them a challenge in your story. That's correct. Um, I agree with that. Because, you know, if you don't have that challenge, then it's, it's not fun to read. Oh, yeah, our protagonist yeah. will kill them quickly or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah. They need to be able to, like you said, have a chance to succeed in order to provide that tension in a, in a story. Patricia Briggs is very good at that. She takes Mercy to the point where we just think poor Mercy's going to finally die, you know, and it, it, the, you know, the bad guy is right there and super smart. And I mean, to the point where we think there's no way Mercy can get out of these things. Right. And um, that's what it takes to write a good villain. I, yeah. I mean, they have to have the ability to win, but we don't want them also to be super powerful. Right. Because then there'd be no point. They would just crush the protagonist and move on and be done with yeah. it. Yeah, which like I have a point on that too, where it says, you know, don't make them too overpowered. They also must abide by the rules that you've set for your own world. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you oh, can't have them, yeah, if you if you've said that nobody can use magic on water, then your antagonist cannot suddenly have this ability to use magic on water. Um, Unless somehow, yeah, there, there, maybe he obtained an object that allows him to do it, but that would well, be a quest on his own. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that then there's a new rule for your world, and that's fine as long yeah. as you explain it. But you yeah. have to still abide by those rules. Yeah, I, I think the reader needs to understand what's at stake if the villain does win. That also creates suspense, like we were talking about on our mystery episode. We might understand why the villain wants what he wants. But we also need our reader to understand how horrible it would be if the villain does get what they want. Right. So that creates suspense where we're like, oh, no, I don't, I don't see how the protagonist is going to get out of this. And if they don't, this is going to happen and it's going to be devastating. Yeah. Also, a competent antagonist forces the other characters in the story into action. I thought yeah. that was a neat point. I think so, too. Because you want um, all of your characters to be involved in the action. And if you have a, a villain or an antagonist who's not doing anything, then there's no reason for them to go into action. Right. Which it brings me to presence. Your antagonist needs to have a presence all the way through, even if you don't see him. Right. It, they should have an effect on what's going on in the world, even if they're not there in every scene, like the destruction as a result. I'm trying to think, I'm back to movies again, Avengers, Superman, um, Spider-Man. Oh, Spider-Man's a good one. So he sees the destruction that's happening because of the bad guy, but he doesn't know who the bad guy is. So he doesn't know who it is, but he's seen the presence of that bad guy every step of the way in that story. And then I talk about traits. The best bad guys are the ones that have heroic traits. I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure what you would think of that. People generally expect a villain to be vain, rude, boastful, arrogant. So avoid that. You don't. Well, but I think that they can be. And I think a lot of the time, the person who will cross a line will have those those qualities. That's true. I mean, you're, you're right, but I don't know that, just be aware of the cliche with those things. Right. Think how much more effective it might be if the villain is also considerate. He saves a kitten from that stuff stuck in a tree. I mean, that's just not something in your mind, in our readers' minds. How do they come to terms with this guy who's doing these things to reach this goal that we think is abhorrent, but he takes the time to go and save a kitten that's stuck in a tree? Right, yeah. So, I mean, that adds depth, I think, to a bad guy. So think about good traits as well. Right. Um, I think my, one of my favorite traits to use in, a, in an antagonist is um, intelligence. I mm-hmm. think having an intelligent uh, antagonist is something that is so much fun to play with in a plot because it'll, I, I feel like it ups suspense a lot, in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. I love reading about intelligent, intelligent villains. I agree with that, too. Um, And then I get to the point of how do you incorporate these things? How do you take all the things we just talked about and actually put them in your story? Because it's easy to say, oh, this is what you need to do, but how do you do it? It's, It's hard sometimes when you're sitting there staring at the blank computer screen. So the first thing I think you need to do is to create your antagonist backstory. And you probably have that too. Um, I have it somewhere in here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. It's hard when one of us goes first because we're all out of order for the other one. I know, because, like, I also had, you know, different types of antagonists, and I have, like, paragraphs on that that we didn't get well, to either. let's do that, too, before we talk about how to make it happen. Okay, so the first type of uh, antagonist I have is the evil villain, which is what we've been talking about as the cliche. Right. Um, and that's, like, the typical dark lord, the witch, the usurper, the criminal mastermind, the bully, the ancient evil, just, like, the, the very cliche, you're a like bad guy. almost Disney character bad guys. Right. And, you know... There's nothing inherently wrong with it other than the fact that it's cliche. Mm -hmm. Um, It's often been seen as as played out, but I've also seen, you know, I mean, it works for something. So like um, uh, one of my examples that I have is Lord Voldemort in Harry Potter. And he's a great villain. I have that too. Mm -hmm. He's a great villain, but a lot of, you know, he is just after power. Um, He is after immortality so that he never dies. And that's like his thing, but he does very evil things to get there. Right. Um, And then another one is uh, Sauron in Lord of the Rings. So, you know, I mean, he's like a very, 
obviously evil guy, um, obviously evil character antagonist. Right. And, you know, he's mostly just after power and it, and it is about power and he is that cliche evil villain. And yet he's still a great antagonist. Yes. To, to see when you're watching or reading Lord of the Rings. The next antagonist that I have is just the quote unquote everyday antagonist. And what so does that this, mean? Yeah. So some antagonists simply act in opposition to the main character, uh, creating conflict with, without a distinct goal of setting the world on fire. Um, so they're not there to be evil. They're not there. It's, it's, I think it's mostly the antagonists that we've been talking about, like humanizing them. Okay. Um, this type of antagonist usually shows up in more character driven stories. So you want to learn more about the antagonist. You want to know why he's doing what he's doing. Um, you want to know his motives and you want to know why, why is he willing to set the world on fire? Okay. Um, and this can create conflict in a number of ways, including, um, you know, they might have the same goal of your story's protagonist and, you know, only one of them can succeed. And so that's why they're the antagonist is because they're after the same thing. They can also discourage the main character from pursuing a goal that they find dangerous or irresponsible, uh, creating an emotional and or physical roadblock that hinders the protagonist. So um, would you think of a, I mean, even a best friend could then be, I guess, classified as an antagonist because the best friend might be trying to stop the main character from doing what they're doing because they think it's too dangerous to do. Would that Absolutely. classify as an antagonist? I think it depends on how you look at it. I think when I think of this type of antagonist, I think more along of, so in my book that I just finished, Mac is followed by these two cops and, and they're there to watch her. And I think those cops can be considered antagonists. Okay. Especially one of them. So like, they're not, necessarily out there to get her and they don't want her dead and like whatever but one of them really doesn't like her and does whatever he can he arrests her um to just because he doesn't like her so and that's I, more about i can see even the best friend i think it mad i think it depends on what lengths they're willing to go through to stop the protagonist yeah, and so even a motive you know why do they want to stop the right the, and the best friend might be doing it really because they think it is in the best interest of their friend that if they go and do this dangerous thing they might die yeah and so their interests their goal is to keep their friend alive yeah so i think that would work as an antagonist as well especially if they're willing to do harsher things to stop their friend from succeeding because they're trying to save them right interesting yeah. okay um, and then some of the examples that I had for that one were, you know, Severus Snape, Draco Malfoy, uh, Jamie Lannister. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've got some Game of Thrones ideas, too. <laughs> so I think, um, I think the everyday antagonist is more about what we were talking about with humanizing our antagonist. Okay. Um, they're just people. They're, they're people. Um, and then we already talked about the immoral entity, which is basically a government or a corrupt system. And then the last one I have is the internal struggle. Uh, so a story's antagonist, antagonistic force doesn't have to be human, but could rather be some element of the character's own self. Oh. Um, so like if the character has to confront a doubt or a fear, flaw or regret in order to over overcome their st struggles and find happiness or, or success. I can't talk. Um, <laughs> But so it doesn't have to be human. It can be an internal emotion. Oh, interesting. Give, yeah. And give your protagonist a distinct dissatisfaction with their life um, or a strong story goal. Uh, and then that struggle, the internal struggle stops them from getting that. And so that's what their antagonist is. So. Okay. Wow. You know, a, a really good example of internal antagonists would be, what was the movie it's another superhero movie, the one where the guy's got the split personality. Oh, it's called Split. Split. That's it. Yeah. Oh my God. Talk about internal antagonists. Holy right. cow. It's yeah. all all of his antagonists are within himself. Yeah, that was a crazy movie. That one was good. That was it was really good. Yeah. So I go into how to incorporate these things and that the the first way to, to start because a lot of this is overwhelming we talk all these general ideas you know you need to right. do these things and someone staring at that blank computer screen is like yeah but how right so the first thing i would recommend is to create your antagonist backstory do the same in-depth history that you did for your protagonist yeah why is your antagonist so hell-bent on his or her goal yeah sometimes past wounds or actions or events might cause this which 
brings me to the Emotional Wound Thesaurus, which is amazing by Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi. Yep. Um, awesome. You really, you guys, I cannot recommend these enough. They have a great list and I listed just a few of them um, as to why your antagonist might be the way he is. Uh, physical assault or bullying, the victim of a crime, learning disabilities, past failures, childhood wounds, like maybe abuse. There are fantastic appendic appendices, I guess you say, when, when it's double plural appendixes. Yeah. Um, uh, they have wonderful things in the back of that book, but be aware of cliches again, you know, oh, he was beaten as a kid, so therefore it's okay that he's this bad guy. That's, that's well, not okay. You know, I mean, you see that a lot though. So I've been listening to this podcast and it's, um, and that's why we drink with Yeah, Christine I love and that podcast. Christine and M. Yeah. And Christine tells, you know, true crime stories and it's insane the number of serial killers that she covers whose backstory is that they were abused as a child. So yeah. it's not, I, it is a cliche, but it's also, I mean, it's a cliche for a reason. And because I think it happens all the time. Right. right. And I think depending on how you use it and how you describe it and how you apply it to your antagonist backstory, I don't think that that's a bad thing to use. I, I just think that they, we need to be careful with the antagonist justifying what they're doing because of that. I think that rather it would be more like they're trying to help other people to prevent them from going what through going through what they did. Although in serial killers, that's not what they're thinking. They're just broken. Right. And, and it could be that our antagonist is just broken. Yeah. But you can do that in a realistic way as well without them being, oh, they just want to kill people all the time, which some people have that hunger. There is a hunger, right. you know, and, and you can portray that in your books to make it less cliche. You know, right. I mean, think of Hannibal Lecter. Oh my God, what a, an amazing character he was as as terrible as he was we find ourselves as the reader or watcher if you watch the movie somehow connecting with him which makes us kind of feel ill which you know like your father when we watched dexter yeah he really had a hard time he could not watch more than a couple episodes at a time because he had a hard time connecting as much as he did with this serial killer right and so, which I think is, they, that means that those people did a great job with that script. Oh, absolutely. That, yeah, be, to, to affect a reader to the point where they're so empathetic with your character that it makes them feel sick. I mean, how cool is that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Writers are evil. <laughs> just a little bit, like just a, just a tiny bit. Um, and then I had said after that, um, one of Taylor's favorites, write the scenes from the antagonist's point of view, and then go one step further, write and outline the book from the antagonist's point of view. Like you said, that's a lot of work, but if you're stuck, that may be what you need to do. That's true. If you have writer's block or if you feel like you don't know where else to go in the story, it is a good idea, I think, to think about what would your antagonist do next? What is he doing? Is he in the or shadow? Why? Maybe if you've read your first draft and you're like, this, this kind of sucks, if you then outline it from the bad guy's point of view, that might give you insight in how to fix your, your first draft and make it a better, a better story. Yeah. Um, don't make your antagonist stupid. That is, that is my pet peeve. Yeah. Uh, just like your protagonist kind of, you can use the mirror technique. It's, it's important, I think, to have the same types of motivations in your character, in your protagonist and your antagonist. They strong, their belief system, their determination, but well, on opposite seen, sides. Yeah, I've seen a lot of things where it's like your antagonist should be a foil of your protagonist. And a lot of that is because, you know, you want, like we said earlier, you want your antagonist to be a challenge for your protagonist. Right. Um, and it'll be more interesting if they are equally matched or equal in, in some manner, like you said, determination or um, like it doesn't necessarily have to be strength or power, but in terms of the way they think and their motivations and, and that kind of thing, I think is necessary to have in your antagonist. On that point, think about Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. Yeah. I mean, they are both super intelligent people. That was why 
Holmes was so fascinated with Moriarty and vice versa. They were just on opposite sides of the morality scale, but equally intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. So they had these mirroring abilities and traits, but used them in different ways. And fascinating. That's a really good example. Yeah. All in all, you have, you're uh, got to create an antagonist that um, you, you create your antagonist just like you do every other character. They, they need the depth, the relatability. They need to be more than just a comic book villain, which I think is where a lot of writers fail is that they make them too one dimensional. So, yeah. you, you know, you need to think about that. Do, what else do you have? Because I have a little exercise for us to go through once you get done. All right. Um, yeah, I have, if your antagonist remains hidden for much of the story, like in a mystery, um, if you have no idea who it is, um, then give him proxies or let him work behind the scenes. Um, so basically make sure he's doing things even when we don't see him as the reader. That's kind of like my presence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think a good example of that would be um, Lord Voldemort in the very first Harry Potter, where you only hear like a little bit about him, but he ends up being a big bad guy by the end. Right. Um, but throughout the book, you don't really see much about him. You, you see, you know, you hear bits and pieces about him, but he's not actively doing anything in that book just yet. Right. So, or at least we don't know that he is, you right. know, cause she uses Severus Snape as a red herring and she uses, right. you know, all of these different things to make us, you know, not think about Voldemort and the comments that have been made about him. And then by the end, it's like, Ooh, he's here. He's been here the whole time. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, um, so another point I have is to look at your favorite villains in pop culture. Um, mm-hmm. so look at the, your favorite villains in books, look at your favorite villains, uh, in books that you don't like, look at your favorite villains anywhere in TV shows. Uh, and, and why are they your favorite villains? Um, I think you mentioned Patricia Briggs earlier, and I think she's a really great author to look at for antagonists because she doesn't al- always use humans and she doesn't always use the supernatural and she doesn't always use werewolves or whatever. You know, am, she uses different things. I am reading her right now. So she is definitely fresh in my brain. She is truly amazing. She's pretty brilliant. Mm-hmm. Another thing I have is take from personal experience. We're the protagonists of our own stories, um, but we're probably an antagonist to other people in some form or fashion. Oh, that's such a clever, you're right. Yep. You're right. Yeah. And then also think about who are your personal antagonists? Because even though we don't live in a big action adventure story, I mean, at least I don't, I still have people where I'm like, oh, he really annoyed me today and this is why. Yeah. This person bugs me all the time and this is why. And he's technically a a personal antagonist because I get, you know, anger and irritation from said person. Um, I've got several of those in my life. I I think you're right. (laughs) Right. And, you know, the point that I made about, you know, we're probably the antagonists of other people's stories, too. I didn't see that anywhere, but I think it's still a good uh, exercise to think about because we probably are. We probably do annoy some people or there's a reason, you know, this person probably doesn't like me because I got the job over them or something like that. Right. right. So I think it's uh, I think it's an interesting way to think about motives and make them realistic. There was a girl in my sorority back in college who apparently hated me because of the way I ate. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I had no idea. She had a problem with the way I took the food off of my fork. Oh, that's so strange. Yeah. And, and it just blew my mind when I found that out because I did, I had no idea. I don't know what I did that. I think I eat like a normal person. I don't, I don't know. But, I haven't noticed anything, but you're my mother. So <laughs> I mean, it, but it irritated her to no end. She absolutely did not like me. And you know, she's one of my sisters. So I mean, sorority sisters. So I don't know what I had done to not, but she was really annoyed with the way I ate. Well, maybe that manifested because she was jealous of you or something. I don't know. You know, there might've been, I was her antagonist for some reason. Right. Yeah. Interesting. That's so funny. And then another thing I have is avoid a long monologue. Uh, because villains, you know, when you don't have the villain up front and in your face, if you don't learn what their motives are, 
then typically when you reveal them, like I feel like there's a, a cliche where they go off into this long monologue about like, oh. oh, this is why I do the things that I do and it's justified because of this and you're an idiot because of this and, you know, just like a long speech. Yeah. And it's like, don't, just, I don't, I don't want to read a long paragraph about your, your whole life story, you we know? We kind of talked about that on mystery when you reveal the mystery, the, right. the you know, don't do the info dump type mystery. That's, that's a very good point. Yeah. And then I also have some exercise stuff to talk about. So you can go ahead and talk. Okay. About I just listed a bunch of different villains for us to kind of talk about. Oh, okay. Well then let me, let me go first then. Okay. <laughs> so general exercises that you can do personally to help you start thinking about antagonists and developing them. Okay. So um, this exercise says to list three antagonists that you did not like and why they didn't work for you. Okay. Um, list out their qualities, their goals, their personalities, and why did they fail that story for you? Like, how could they have been better? Um, okay. What was dissatisfying about them? And I think that gets you thinking about what you should do with your own antagonist. I think um, so. Obviously, do the opposite of what was dissatisfying to you. Um, and then think of historical figures that you consider antagonists. And the first one that obviously comes to mind and probably to most people's minds is Hitler, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. What, make, what makes those historical figures antagonists? What are their personalities? Why did they do what they were doing and how did they justify it? Mm -hmm. um, and do they represent a group? And then the last one was character creation worksheets, which I think are good in general for character creation. Which I'm going to post the one, I mean, it's very basic. I, I really need to do some in-depth. I think that probably to truly create a character, there, the worksheet would be a booklet. Yeah. You know, a really in-depth booklet, which maybe I'll have time to create one and post it on our website for people to use. Um, but I am going to post this just basic one to get people started on brainstorming. I mean, right. it's just some brainstorming tips to start with. Yeah. All righty. Let's, uh, let's do your exercise. Okay. So I came up with a bunch of of bad guys and just kind of wanted to talk about them and how, how are they bad and what was their motives? So Voldemort was the first one. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, what makes him not a one dimensional character? I mean, he had a bad upbringing, right? You know, so there's that empathy there that we have with him. Um, but he's gotten beyond the point where the character, I mean, the reader can really empathize with him. Yeah. The, the, the lengths he went through to keep immortality, the splitting of his soul. Can you imagine being so terrified of death that you're willing to fracture your soul into these different Horcruxes and, and all of that? I just, that he blows my mind. He is a, insane. Yeah. A, an interesting bad guy, mm -hmm. but there are other Harry Potter bad guys. Dolores Umbridge. Ooh, yeah. I mean, I almost hate her more than I hated Voldemort. I mean, honestly, though, because she was just something. She was something else. Yeah, she, uh, I don't even know. I, we didn't get enough into her background to know why she is the way she is, what yeah. made her the way she is. We've all met people like Dolores Umbridge. There are people that follow government or policy in a corporation or whatever that beyond common sense. Right. We all, we all know Dolores Umbridge's. Yeah. Well, we and I all... think she's for, for like a power trip, which, you know, lots of people are about power trips and, mm -hmm. you know, hand them a little bit of power and they're like, Ooh, I can do it. I mean, um, what's that psychological experiment with the, uh, the prison versus the yeah. inmate? Yeah. Yeah. Cause you handed the, you know, and they're all the same kids in the same class mm -hmm. and everything. And you told yep. some of them, Oh, you have power over these. And that, obviously became unethical. <laughs> right. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, and you see Dolores Umbridge's and people who just want to climb the corporate ladder. Right. You know, that it, it's not that they think they're being evil. They want to be what the, you know, hierarchy up there wants so that they can climb the ladder to get up there too, so that they can have the penthouse and the Jaguar and the whatever it is that they right. aren't, they don't think they're being evil. They're doing what their company wants them to do or whatever it is that that in that circumstance, I'm just using company uh, as right. an example. 
Lord of the Rings has several. You talked about Sauron and yeah. um, what I have on my list is Gollum oh, yeah. as an antagonist. He's not an evil character, but when you, when you delve into how he became how he did and how the ring affected him, yeah. something was inside of him that made him capable of killing his best friend for that ring. Right. And then he deteriorated from that point. But what an interesting antagonist. You talk about a, definitely a non-one-dimensional um, antagonist. Gollum is perfect. He's and so we, interesting, yeah. We empathize with him. We understand. But how many of us would kill our best friend, even with magical influence? I just can't. I mean, and maybe we would if there's magic messing with us. I don't right. know. And it also, I mean, you know, you think about... Gollum and what he's turned into and you feel sorry for him yeah you know you, he's pitiful and he is almost I mean I don't want to say childlike because he's not not childlike but he's something you know that can't protect himself or it right. seems as though he can't right um, I think that's going to pull in the reader as well and and really empathize with with him as an antagonist yeah he's vulnerable and yet he survived torture in the Mount Doom. I mean, right. you know, what an amazing creature Gollum is. So yeah. really good example of how to make an antagonist realistic. Yeah. More, more than just that one dimensional bad guy. Another one is Crowley from Supernatural. I haven't watched enough up to that point. Okay. Crowley, his mother was treated him horribly as a child we we definitely understand why Crowley is where he is and he keeps showing these little glimpses of good guyness so that every time you think oh my god he's a lost cause he does something and you're like oh yeah I mean so he's a bad guy but yeah. definitely makes us feel for him yeah um Cersei Lannister oh yeah well, and then also Jamie Lannister. And, and so. Jamie. I think she's worse than he is. Oh, she's way worse than he is. Because Jamie had a lot of heroic yeah. traits. Seriously, yeah. it was hard to find any heroic traits. Although when she had to do that walk of shame, where they yeah. cut her hair and made her walk naked, we all felt for her. That woman is, uh, she was determined. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, she, and, and that's something we kind of respect in her. She's determined and smart, and also to be, you know, the wife of that king, and then it, it, she's been through enough that, like, I'm like, she's a badass, but also she's a terrible woman, you know? Right. She, she had enough to her where I was like, I like her, but I also really hate her. Yeah. But she was a great character. Yeah, definitely. Um, Raceland Majir in the Dragonlance series. I don't know that I you ever that. read that. Oh yeah. my gosh. It was the very first fantasy series I ever read. I was probably eighth grade when that came out, yeah. or at least when I discovered them. I don't know how old the books are, but Raceland is, he, he has a brother who is strong and handsome and a warrior and Raceland is thin and kind of emaciated and super intelligent where his brother is kind of dumb yeah. dumb but beautiful and uh -huh. Raceland is smart but decrepit right and his whole character arc is amazing but he is a really good antagonist he wants to become godlike and you can understand it because he's so weak and frail you yeah. understand his desire and his jealousy of his brother because his brother is so brawny and handsome and gets the girls and, you know, that kind of thing. Really good character to study as an antagonist. Yeah. Not, not a one dimensional, oh, kind of one dimensional because it was a fantasy D and D type. It, well, it is a D and D story. I'm, I do. I go back to my D and D roots a lot. Yeah. And then one that you will understand Rowena, O'Reilly from Karen Moaning. <laughs> uh-huh. What an antagonist she is, and I don't want to give too much away, but interesting woman. She's a very interesting woman, very intelligent and very conniving. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was also an old woman, and, you know, from 
before we get to certain points of the series, you are like, oh, she's definitely trying to help people. And, right. you know, and so you, you don't like her, but she's also, you, she's also a character where you're like, you know, I don't like her, but. I understand. You know, she's right. strong. She's trying to do the right thing for her people. And, right. and it, I think in her own mind, she really was. I think so too. I think so too. Kind of broken. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I would love to hear what our readers' ideas of a great antagonist is. I, I just, I love delving into these characters and we don't do it enough because we're all so concentrated on the good guy, you know, who the main character is. That's who we're so tied up with. But don't forget your bad guy. The bad guy is just as important as your good guy. Yeah, absolutely. On that note, I have a quick interview question. Oh, okay. What's your favorite part of coming up with a, an antagonist? I don't know that I have a favorite part because it just happens. My characters really just show up in that stadium in my head that your father says I have. Let me rephrase. What's your, what's your favorite part of writing them? Oh, I enjoy the twisty, conniving ways that they try to outsmart the main character. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I love their trickiness and because the reader and the protagonist don't know what's going on. And yet there are so many clever things that are happening beside, behind the scenes. So I love that part. I like the yeah. clever part. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think that's a lot of why I like writing them too. And um, I think I said earlier in the episode, I was saying my favorite trait to, to put into an antagonist is their intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, so it's definitely one of my favorite things to to write about them. So yeah, they're they're fun, honestly. They are, and you know, there there are some books that have chapters with the point of view of your antagonist, which is fun, and yeah. some where you never see that antagonist's point of view. You only see them through their presence within the book and the the actions that and events that you see as a result of what they've done. Right. Yeah. But, all right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. Don't forget, we've got free merch, um, spiral notebooks, calendars, sticky notes. Email us at eat.drink.write.podcast at gmail.com. Our website is eatdrinkwritepodcast.com. We've got everything there. So if you don't have a pencil or whatever to write down our email, just go to eatdrinkwritepodcast.com and everything is all on our website. I post... Um, like this sheet that I did for the antagonist character sheet. I'll post it there. I post pictures of our drinks, which you'll have to send me a picture of your drink, your white cloth can and, and your uh, food. And I'll post mine and recipes. If anybody's interesting, I know there might be people out there on keto like me and it does take special recipes for that. So I'm always glad to post those. Let us know what you want to talk about. Let us know your thoughts on any of our episodes. Uh, we've got Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Come check us out. Please visit our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash edwpodcast, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. It takes money to do this, especially now that we're long distance. This is uh, challenging for all of us, but we are keeping going, hoping that we're giving you all something to do during quarantine. Y'all be safe, be well, stay inside. Thanks, guys.